Chapter 13 of Emily Bronte by Agnes Mary Frances Robinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Troubles. While Emily Bronte was striving to create a world of fancy and romance natural to her passionate spirit, the real everyday existence in which she had to work and endure was becoming day by day more anxious and troubled an almost unlivable life it seems recalling it stifled with the vulgar tragedy of branwell's woes the sordid cares that his debts entailed the wearing anxiety that watched the oncoming blindness of old mr bronte these months of eighteen forty six during which let us remember emily was writing wuthering heights must have been the heaviest and dreariest of all her days it was during their weary course that she at last perceived how utterly hopeless how insensible to good must be the remaining life of her brother for so long as the future was left him branwell never reached the limit of abasement he drank to drown sorrow to deaden memory and the flight of time he went far but not too far to turn back when the day should dawn which should recall him to prosperity and happiness he was still, though perverted and debased, capable of reform and susceptible to holy influences. He had not finally cast away goodness and honor. They were but momentarily discarded, like rings taken off for heavy work. By and by he would put them on again. Suddenly the future was taken away. One morning, about six months after his dismissal, a letter came for branwell announcing the death of his former employer all he had ever hoped for lay at his feet the good wronged man was dead his wife his wealth should now make branwell glad a new life earned by sin and hatred should begin a new good life honourable and happy it was in branwell's nature to be glad when peace and honour came to him although he would make no effort to attain them in this morning he was very happy he fairly danced down the churchyard as if he were out of his mind he was so fond of that woman says my informant the next morning he rose dressed himself with care and prepared for a journey but before he had even set out from haworth two men came riding to the village post haste they sent for branwell and when he arrived in a great state of excitement one of the riders dismounted and went with him into the black bull they went into the brown parlour of the inn the cheerful wainscoted parlour where branwell had so often lorded it over his boon companions from his great three-cornered chair after some time the messenger rose and left and those who were in the inn thought they heard a strange noise in the parlour a bleeding like a calf's yet being busy people they did not go in to see if anything had happened and amid the throng of their employments the sound passed out of their ears and out of their memory hours afterwards the young girl who used to help in the housework at the inn the anne who still remembers branwell's fluent greetings found occasion to enter the parlour she went in and found him on the floor looking changed and dreadful he had fallen down in a sort of stupefied fit. After that day, he was an altered being. The message he had heard had changed the current of his life. It was not the summons he expected, 
but a prayer from the woman he loved not to come near her, not to tempt her to ruin. If she saw him once, the care of her children, the trust of their fortunes, all was forfeited. She entreated him to keep away, anxious, perhaps, in this sudden loneliness of death, to retrieve the past, or by some tender superstition made less willing to betray the dead than the living or it may be merely eager to retain at all costs the rank the station the honours to which she was accustomed be it as it may branwell found himself forgotten o oh, dreadful heart of woman that in one day forgets what man remembers forgetting him therewith after that day he was different he despaired and drank himself to death drinking to the grave and forgetfulness gods of his sabbath and borrowing a transient pleasure at fearful interest but to such a man the one supreme temptation is enjoyment it must be had though life and heaven go forfeit and while he caroused and by his whole manner gave indications of intense enjoyment his old father grew quite blind and day by day more delicate and short of breath ambitious charlotte pined like an eagle in a cage and Emily, writing Wuthering Heights, called those affected who found the story more terrible than life. It was she who saw most of her abandoned brother, for Anne could only shudder at his sin, and Charlotte was too indignant for pity. But Emily, the stern charitable woman who spared herself no pang, who loved to carry tenderly the broken-winged nestlings in her hard-working hands, Emily was not revolted by his weakness, shall i despise the deer for his timid swiftness to fly or the leveret because it cannot die bravely or mock the death agony of the wolf because the beast is gaunt and foul to see she asks herself in one of the few personal poems she has left us no an emphatic no for emily bronte had a place in her heart for all the wild children of nature and to despise them for their natural instincts was impossible to her and thus it came about that she ceased to grow indignant at Branwell's follies. She made up her mind to accept with angerless sorrow his natural vices. All that was left of her ready disdain was an extreme patience which expected no reform, asked no improvement. The patience she had for the leveret and the wolf, things contemptible and full of harm, yet not so by their own choice, the patience of acquiescence and hopeless despair. Branwell's pity was all for himself. He did not spare the pious household forced into the contamination of his evil habits. Nothing happens at Haworth, says Charlotte, nothing at least of a pleasant kind. One little incident occurred about a week ago to sting us into life, but if it give no more pleasure for you to hear than it does for us to witness, you will scarcely thank me for adverting to it. It was merely the arrival of a sheriff's officer on a visit to Branwell, inviting him either to pay his debts or take a trip to York. Of course, his debts had to be paid. It is not agreeable to lose money time after time in this way. But where is the use of dwelling on such subjects? It will make him no better. Reproaches only hardened his heart and made him feel himself more than ever abused by circumstances and fate. Sometimes, says Mr. Phillips, he would complain of the way he was treated at home, and as an instance related the following. 
one of the sunday school girls in whom he and all his house took much interest fell very sick and they were afraid she would not live i went to see the poor little thing he said sat with her half an hour and read a psalm to her and a hymn at her request i felt very much like praying with her too he added his voice trembling with emotion but you see i was not good enough how dare i pray for another who had almost forgotten how to pray for myself i came away with a heavy heart for i felt sure she would die and went straight home where i fell into melancholy musings i wanted somebody to cheer me i often do but no kind word finds its way to my ears much less to my heart charlotte observed my depression and asked what ailed me so i told her she looked at me with a look which i shall never forget if i live to be a hundred years old which i never shall it was not like her at all it wounded me as if someone had struck me a blow in the mouth it involved ever so many things in it it was a dubious look it ran over me questioning and examining as if i had been a wild beast it said did my ears deceive me or did i hear aught and then came the painful baffled expression which was worse than all it said i wonder if that's true but as she left the room she seemed to accuse herself of having wronged me and smiled kindly upon me and said she is my little scholar and i will go and see her i replied not a word i was too much cut up when she was gone i came over here to the black bull and made a night of it in sheer disgust and desperation why could they not give me some credit when i was trying to be good in such wise the summer of eighteen forty six drew on wearily enough with increased economies in the already frugal household that branwell's debts might honourably be paid with gathering fears for the father on whom dyspepsia and blindness were laying heavy hands he could no longer see to read he the great walker who loved to ramble alone could barely grope his way about all that was left to him of sight was the ability to recognize well-known figures standing in a strong light yet he still continued to preach standing grey and sightless in the pulpit uttering what words perforce unstudied came to his lips himself in his sorrowful age and stern endurance a most noble and comprehensible sermon his spirits were much depressed for now he could no longer forget himself in his lonely studies no longer walk on the free moors alone when trouble invaded the narrow house below he lived now of necessity in intimate relation with his children he depended on them and now he made acquaintance with the heroic nature of his daughters and saw the petty drudgery of their lives and how worthily they turned it to a grace in the wearing of it and now he saw clearly the vain dependent passionate temperament of his son and knew how by the lack of training the plant had been ruined and draggled in the mire which might have beautifully flowered and borne good fruit had it been staked and supported the poor espalier thing that could not stand alone nemesis had visited his home he felt the consequences of his selfishness his arrogance his cold isolation and bitterly he mourned the cataract grew month by month a thickening veil that blotted out the world and month by month the old blind man sat wearily thinking through the day of his dear son's ruin for he had ever loved branwell the best and lay at night listening for his footsteps 
while below, alone, his daughter watched as wearily for the prodigal's return. The three girls looked on and longed to help. All that they could do they did, Charlotte being her father's constant helper and companion, but all they could do was little. They would not reconcile themselves to see him sink into blindness. They busied themselves in collecting what information they could glean concerning operations upon cataract and the names of oculists. But at present there was nothing to do but wait and endure, for even they, with their limited knowledge, could see that their father's eyes were not ready yet for the surgeon's knife. Meanwhile they worked in secret at their novels. So soon as the poems had been sent off, and even when it was evident that that venture too had failed, the sisters determined to try and earn a livelihood by writing. They could no longer leave their home, their father being helpless and Branwell worse than helpless, yet with ever-increasing expenses and no earnings, bare living was difficult to compass. The future, too, was uncertain. Should their father's case prove hopeless, should he become quite blind, ill, incapable of work, they would be homeless indeed. With such a gloomy boding in their lives, and with such stern, impelling necessity bidding them strive and ever strive again, as a baffled swimmer strives for land, these three sisters began their work. Two of them in after time were to be known through all the world, were to be influences for all time to come, and a new glory in the world not known before their days, were to make up with Mrs. Browning the perfect trinity of English female fame. But with little thought of this, heavily and very wearily, they set out upon their undertaking. Every evening, when the sewing was put away, the writing was begun, the three sisters sitting round the table, or more often marching round and round the room as in their schoolgirl days, would hold solemn counsel over the progress of their work. The division of chapters, the naming of characters, the progress of events was then decided so that each lent a hand to the other's work. Then, such deliberations done, the paper would be drawn out, and the casual notes of the day corrected and writ fair, and for an hour or more there would be no sound save the scratching of pens on the paper and the gusty wailing of the wind outside. Such methodical work makes rapid progress. In a few months each sister had a novel completed. Charlotte, a grave and quiet study of Belgian life and character, the professor, and a painstaking account of a governess's trials which she entitled Agnes Gray. Emily's story was very different, and less perceptibly interwoven with her own experience. We all know at least the name of Wuthering Heights. The novels were sent off, and at first seemed even less likely of success than the school had been or the book of verses. Publisher after publisher rejected them. Then, thinking that perhaps it was not cunning to send the three novels in a batch, since the ill success of one might prejudice all, the sisters sent them separately to try their chance, but ever with the same result, month after month came rejection. At home affairs continued no less disheartening. Branwell often laid up with violent fits of sickness, Mr. Bronte becoming more utterly blind. At last, in the end of July, Emily and Charlotte set out for Manchester to consult an oculist. There they heard of Mr. Wilson as the best, and to him they went, but only to find that no decisive opinion could be given until their father's eyes had been examined. Yet not disheartened, they went back to Haworth, for at least they had discovered a physician, and had made sure 
that even at their father's advanced age an operation might prove successful therefore at the end of august charlotte who was her father's chief companion and the most easily spared from home took old mr bronte to manchester mr wilson pronounced his eyes ready for the operation and the old man and his daughter went into lodgings for a month i wonder how emily and anne will get on at home with branwell says charlotte accustomed to be the guide and leader of that little household hardly enough no doubt for anne was little fitted now to struggle against fate she never had completely rallied from the prolonged misery of her sojourn with branwell in that fatal house which was to blight their future and be blighted by them she grew weaker and weaker that gentle little one so tender so ill-fitted to her rugged and gloomy path of life emily looked on with a breaking heart trouble encompassed her on every side her father blind in manchester her brother drinking himself to death at home her sister failing paling day by day and every now and then a letter would come announcing that such and such a firm of publishers had no use for agnes gray in wuthering heights charlotte in manchester fared little better the professor had been returned to her on the very day of her father's operation when bearing this unspoken of blow as best she might she had to stay in the room while the cataract was removed from his eyes exercise makes courage strong that evening when her father in his darkened room might no longer speak or be spoken to that very evening she began jane eyre this was being braver than brave emily who has left us nothing save a few verses written later than wuthering heights but at haworth there was labour and to spare for every instant of the busy days and charlotte in manchester found her unaccustomed leisure and unoccupied confinement very dreary toward the end of september mr bronte was pronounced on a fair way to recovery and he and charlotte set out for haworth it was a happy homecoming for things had prospered better than charlotte had dared to hope during the latter weeks of her absence every day the old man grew stronger and little by little his sight came back he could see the glorious purple of the moors emily's moors no less beloved in her sorrowing womanhood than in her happy hoyden time of youth he could see his children's faces and the miserable change in branwell's features he began to be able to read a little very little at a time and by november was sufficiently recovered to take the whole duty of the three sunday services upon himself not long after this time three members of that quiet household were still further cheered by learning that agnes gray and wuthering heights had found acceptance at the hands of a publisher acceptance but upon impoverishing terms still for so much they were thankful to write and bury unread the things one has written is playing music upon a dumb piano who plays would fain be heard End of chapter thirteen